think as we work through this psalm, you'll recognize that there are some, there's some parallels between this and Psalm 100 that we worked with this morning. But follow along, if you would, please, as I read. It's a psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Father, as we come to your word this evening and uh, consider this psalm together, we pray that you would bless, you would um, Just guide our thinking and help us understand so that we can receive um, strength and insight and encouragement through what's recorded here. So we commit this time around your word into your hands. Pray that your anointing would rest upon your word and speak to us and uh, just cause us to love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm is easily divided into three sections. In verses uh, 1 and 2, we have an affirmation of God's majesty. And then in verses 3 through 6, David poses a question related to the holiness of God. And in verses 7 through 10... There's an exhortation, uh, exhortation that is calling us to embrace God's presence among us as God's people, uh, to, to just invite him in to our lives. Also, there's a, there's a mystery, there's a profound reality presented here related to Christ, uh, God who is infinite, the God who is transcendent the one who uh, envelops the cosmos and sustains it in an orderly form, he's condescended. He's come to us in Christ, the second person of the Trinity. He's presented himself to us in in true humanity so we can understand. uh, We can understand his love. We can understand his grace and uh, know him in a very personal way, 
so that we can also understand this redemption that's been provided through the sacrifice, through the, the death of Jesus. Now, he's dwelling among us. He's indwelling us by his spirit. He's active within the life of the church, his people. It's really a wondrous thing. The God we serve is incomprehensible and he's not subject to anyone or anything and yet he stooped down he entered into fellowship with us so this psalm this psalm opens with an affirmation of God's majesty and his transcendence and it closes with an appeal to his imminence that he's come to us and he's now alive and active and moving among us, indwelling us and sustaining us by his own spirit and power. The God who embodies the cosmos has embraced us and made us his own. When you stop and think about that, that that is beyond, I think, our, our ability to conceptualize a God who is so transcendent, so immense, so glorious, that he's beyond our ability to fully understand his nature, and yet he's come. He's come to us, and he's made himself known in terms that we can understand so that now we know him in a very personal, relational way. Now, he's not, uh, it's not an exhaustive revelation. There's, there's more about God that has not yet been revealed. But what's revealed to us in his word and in the person of Jesus is true, it's trustworthy, and it's adequate for what we need to know. So here's this transcendent creator, creator of all things who has stooped down to be close to us. The historical context in which this psalm was written is uh, debatable, but it seems very likely to be related to either, uh, either directly or indirectly to the return of the Ark of the Covenant uh, to Jerusalem during King David's reign, uh, shortly after uh, 1010 B.C. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which uh, bore witness to God's presence with Israel, ha had been captured by the Philistines uh, while Eli was judge and also the high priest. And it was returned uh, after seven months and it was kept in the house of Abinadad, and uh, there it was cared for by his son, uh, Eliezer, for 20 years. And after David was anointed king, he attempted to bring the ark into, the, into Jerusalem and uh, place it in the tabernacle, in the, the tent that he had pitched for it. And... Uh, in the process of it being brought to Jerusalem, 
You remember the story that Uzzah, one of the attendants, touched the uh, ark and was struck dead. And David, as a result of that, he abandoned the project for, for three months. And then, finally, he brought the ark back to Jerusalem. And as it was brought, there was great celebration. And uh, there was worship. There was uh, uh, actually uh, a lot of dancing and shouting and rejoicing um, singing as the, as the ark was brought to Jerusalem. Uh, this psalm is related uh, to this event. And it was, was either sung at the event itself or sung at subsequent celebrations and reenactments of the event. So it begins with an affirmation of God's majesty uh, that underscores God's transcendence, his creative power, and his rule over all things. The earth and everything that is in it belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to Yahweh. The planet itself the cosmos that supports it, and every living thing in it owe their very existence to God, to Yahweh, the God of the Bible. He's the creator. He's the I am. He's, uh, as I mentioned this morning, he's the, the necessary being, the one who was and is and forever will be. And with a, a series of creative decrees, he brought order out of disorder. He brought cosmos out of chaos. And David, David uses poetic language to describe it. In verse 2, he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers or, or the waters. The sea and waters are used metaphorically in Hebrew poetry um, to represent upheaval and chaos, threat, and evil. Uh, the line, these lines refer to the first creation account in Genesis 1. The earth was without, without form and void. There's, there's a disorder here. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered or brooded over the face of the waters. And then God said, and then we have a series of creative decrees. Then um, the habitable world comes into being and um, everything, every living creature is spoken into existence. He's the creator. And because of this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof 
the world and those who dwell therein. The God we serve, God we serve is majestic, he's transcendent, he's sovereign, he's holy, he's the almighty one. So we should, um, we should be bowed low in his presence. He should be reverenced. He should be worshipped. He should be highly exalted and, and obeyed. You know, once, I think once our minds are captured by, by the majesty and transcendence of God, it humbles us. It quiets our boasting. And we see ourselves as small in his presence. It creates in us an appropriate fear. We need this, I think. We need this because we're self-absorbed and prideful by nature. We need to be brought low. We need to be brought low in order to worship him in a proper way, out of a proper attitude and spirit. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for worship literally means, literally means to bow down, to, to lay oneself down in God's presence. The first thing that, that's uh, affirmed in this psalm is the majesty of God. And this is followed by a ponderous question in verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Who will stand in his holy presence? Who, who can enter into the, the holy of holies? The more you think about this question, the more perplexed you become. God is holy. He's in a, a different category of being than us. I think to fully appreciate this, I, I, we need some help. And uh, let me read to you. This has helped me a great deal. It's... Uh, Two paragraphs from the Westminster Confession of Faith under the title of God and of the Holy Trinity. Uh, it's going to take me just a little time to read this, but please listen carefully. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, 
abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all-sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all things, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever himself pleaseth. In his sight all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent, uh, independent upon the creature. So as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain, he is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. Uh, This is the God these questions relate to. He's holy. He's high and lifted up. He's the one that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and said, take your shoes off because the ground upon which you stand is holy. Wherever God is present, that place is holy. He's the one Isaiah saw and heard in the temple. He's the one Ezekiel uh, encountered in the whirlwind. Isaiah heard the seraphim say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And the, and the thresholds of the temple shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah, Isaiah cried out, Woe, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now, how did he know this? Well, he answers that by saying, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He saw. He saw the Lord of hosts, the glory of the Lord of hosts. And uh, it overwhelmed him. He was absolutely overwhelmed by the holiness of God. And in the light of God's holiness and glory, Isaiah saw himself as he truly was. Unclean. Unholy. Again, the question. The question is, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? 
The verbs here are in the imperfect tense, and they're best, uh, best translated as permissives. So it should read, or will read, who may, who may ascend and stand in the presence of the Lord? Who, who's permitted to come into the holy place and stand in God's presence? Well, the answer is clearly stated. He who has clean hands and a pure heart who can come into the presence of God? Only those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands. Well, clean hands speak of the outward, outward moral behavior. They're clean. The person who lives a life that is morally perfect so that they're without sin. They can come into the presence of God. Those who have a pure heart, and this refers to their interior life, their attitudes, thoughts, their intentions, their affections. They're pure. They're unmixed with with sin. This is what's required of those who would be permitted to come in to God's presence. So here's the pressing question. Do you fit the profile? Do you meet the standard? Well, I certainly don't. And I I don't think you do either. There's only one, only one who is qualified, and that's Jesus. He's without sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. He alone possesses moral perfection. He alone possesses the, the integrity that's, that's called for here. There's perfect continuity between his heart and his hands. So, how can we come into the presence of a holy God? What's the basis of our fellowship with him? We can come into the presence of the Holy One by being in union with the perfect one. Only by being in Christ only by having our lives twisted in with Jesus. That we're trusting him, we're clinging to his holiness, his righteousness, his obedience. It's in that that wonderful redeemed relationship that we now have access. We can come into the holy presence of God because our lives are hid with Christ in God. We're covered, we're clothed in Jesus. This is what brings us in. We we come into the presence of a God whose holiness is a consuming fire. We, We must not forget 
that Christ is our mediator. And when we're in union with him, when we come to him and we surrender in repentance and faith, we're then justified. We're declared righteous legally, forensically. We're now righteous in the sight of God. We're sanctified. We've been set apart unto God. And there's this, this ongoing process of reshaping and reordering our lives as he is uh, making us more holy to live lives that are transformed morally as we surrender to him every day. We're justified, we're sanctified, and we're seen as being obedient and also as being holy in him. Christ ascended. He ascended the hill of the Lord and now stands in the holy place and we're in him and because of this, because of this redeemed standing, we're given entrance into the presence of God. The author of Hebrews, he writes, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near, draw near to the throne of grace. This is a wonderful, it's a, just a reassuring invitation. Let's come into his presence with confidence. Let's draw near to him because we're in Jesus. The psalm ends, and the psalm ends with a dramatic and very moving scene. Perhaps what's described here is the annual reenactment of the ark's uh, uh, entrance into Jerusalem. And there are two choirs, just as we saw in Psalm 100. There are two choirs, one with the procession outside the city gate, and the other choir is inside. And these choirs, again, they sing antiphonally. The choir on the outside sings, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And the choir inside responds, Who is the King of glory? And the choir outside then answers, The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The exchange is then repeated. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Now, in the immediate historical context, this, this is powerful theater. It reminds the Jews that Yahweh had conquered their enemy, the Jebusites, and claimed Jerusalem as his own. And this city now was the geographical center of their religious life, spiritual center. So Jerusalem 
open your gates wide and receive your king, the king of glory. Now, this was no ordinary entrance. Yahweh had stooped down to enter into the presence of his people and to dwell among them. This is vividly pictured in the entrance of the Ark of the Covenant. This is the Lord. Lord, uh, in, in all uppercase letters, making entrance. The Lord's timeless, independent, unchanging, underived, and he's a self-sufficient being. But, but even more specifically and significantly, Yahweh is the covenant-making God. God who established fellowship with man and bound himself uh, to us redemptively, promising to provide a redeemer, one who would save his people from their sins. And he did that by providing his son. Jesus has come. In this sense, um, this whole reenactment is prophetic and it's forward-looking. Um, it, it anticipates Christ. It anticipates and, and is a foreshadowing of Christ's incarnation coming in to be among us. It uh, speaks of his ascension and entrance into the heavenly Jerusalem. That's his bride the church, to dwell among them and wipe away every tear from their eyes. And, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He's come into our presence. Christ has conquered Satan. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered hell and the grave. And he's leading the procession of the redeemed. Here's the question we all have to answer. How will we receive him? Reluctantly or eagerly? The section of the psalm is calling us to open our hearts and to open our hearts wide, wide to him. The appeal is to receive our king, the Lord of hosts, the king of glory, the one who rules over the angelic armies, the one who uh, governs the stars, the planets, and every galaxy of the cosmos. How should we respond? It's an invitation. We should receive him. And we should receive him openly, eagerly, not guardedly, not, not tentatively, but open the gates of our hearts and our lives wide to him. 
Lift up your heads, O gates, that the King of glory may come in. Um, do you see the picture? Do you understand the, the invitation? What a privilege. King David, he did. And uh, we can see this in the opening, the opening line of Psalm 25 that follows. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let's do the same. Open our hearts wide. Say, Lord, come. Occupy and rule over me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the images that uh, surface in this psalm that serve as an, a visual illustration of how we need to open our hearts as well to allow you to desire that you enter and that we receive you with great joy. Lord, would you come? We're closing this day of worship. We're going to be facing all of the daily exactions of life in a world that is hard and hostile to the gospel. Keep us this week. Give us a great hunger for you this week. That we um, sense your presence. We acknowledge your presence with us throughout the day. And we invite you in to all the details of our lives. So we surrender to you again tonight. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, stand